0: The game. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck nicks? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking niece does? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. WTF, welcome to it. How's it going? Whew, man, I was away all weekend. I, if I go away for two days, I feel like I've been on a fucking space mission, man. I mean, I guess I kind of have. Have I? Look, I, I can barely remember yesterday. That's what's happening. I don't know if it's by virtue of the fact of technology, engagement, exhaustion, uh, mental... I, I don't know what it is. But each day, as it goes by, as it gets behind me feels very far away i think it has something to do with travel really that's why i'm saying uh all travel is space travel but let's not let's not i'm not gonna mentally noodle right away come on man there's business to be had to be taken care of i'll be at jfl 42 in toronto on thursday september 19th at the sony center for the performing arts sounds big right it is get some tickets will you I'm at the Vic Theater in Chicago on September 20th. That's sold out. I don't know why I keep saying it. Maybe it's just so I can say that's sold out. And then I'll be at the Masonic Temple in Detroit on Saturday, September 21st, which I'm excited about. That is actually in Detroit. It's not outside Detroit. It's in there, and I haven't been there before. And I've heard there's some cool shit. After Detroit, I'll be at the Pantages Theater in Minneapolis on Sunday, September 22nd. I always enjoy going there. I think we'll have a good time. I think some of the people who live there might have seen me at at Acme not too long ago, but it's always different. It's always different with me. Like last night or the night before last in Seattle, I was battling ghosts on stage. Yeah, that happens occasionally. You're going to tell me I'm not a space traveler? Are you going to honestly look me in the eye and say, you're no astronaut? Are you going to do that? No. Nah. Listen, I have, it looks like I have more business to deal with. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, basically, it's just that I wanted to uh, to make sure you know that all of my tour dates, can find them all at uh, wtfpod.com slash tour. Uh, you'll see I've added some Dynasty typewriter dates here in Los Angeles for October 5th and 6th before I head to Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and Boston, the following week. Now, not to disappoint anybody, but me really, I do not believe we will be shooting the special in Boston. Looks like we're going to have to move that because we got to, there's, there's some, there's some things we want to do with cameras that we can't do in there. So it's going to be, it might be a different trip. It might be a different, uh, we might be looking at different uh, joint, different space, different option. I, 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 I'm pretty sure about that but I don't think that should is that going to piss you people off I mean is that going to be like well that's the only reason I was going Marin hasn't been back to Boston in a couple of years but if I can't be on camera the back of my head fuck him I'm not going but uh, I'll let you know for sure okay I don't I don't know for sure I want to thank everyone in Vancouver and Seattle for coming out that was exciting right That that is like space travel Isn't it... Well, let me explain. Like, okay, so last week I'm here. I'm doing the things. I'm recording. I'm doing my stuff, right? Then on Friday, I take off. I fly to Vancouver. I get there in the early afternoon. I check into... I think, honestly my my favorite hotel in the world. I don't even know why. I can't explain it to you. But the Rosewood, Georgia in Vancouver, in downtown Vancouver, is just the fucking nicest place I've ever stayed. It's got nothing to do with nothing. It's a fairly high-end hotel, but there's just something about it. I think it's an old place I think it was a renovated place. I think Elvis might have stayed there, which doesn't, you know, automatically make it a good thing. Or that he, he like I think there's a 50-50 chance he left some fairly negative energies in the uh, in, in the bricks at that place. I don't know what went on there, but I think it was the kind of place at in an earlier time. But that being said, it doesn't matter. There's just something about the rooms are so quiet and peaceful. And there's something about the beds. And this isn't even a pay- paid advertisement. I travel to a lot of hotels and there's just something magic about that place. I get there. I feel better. The food's okay and everything else is a nice looking place. I can't even fucking explain it to you. And I'm not going to say that it's it, they, maybe it's like uh, in a blanket of warm spirits. I don't know what it is. There's just something about the peace of mind to get at that joint. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that every time I go to fucking Canada, I am so relieved to be out of the psychic garbage that is infusing the very air we breathe in this country. Just the day-to-day onslaught, torrential sideways downpour of... uh, of hateful bullshit. The never ending juggernaut that's got everyone a little a little fidgety, a little aggravated, a little nervous. It's just seeping into our pores. So maybe it's got something to do with that. Maybe I should take that into consideration. I think the first time I stayed at that place was even earlier on into this, this fucking evil mud that we're walking through on a day to day basis. And I, I mean that in a psychic way, psychic hot mud is what we're dealing with. So maybe just the fact that I get to Vancouver and it's a nice bed, I'm like, this is heaven, Canada. But I, you know, but it was nice. Charlie Demers uh, opened for me. We went out for some Greek food, talked it out, worked out some shit, shared some stories, got to the venue, laid it down. And it was fucking great. It was a great show, great people. Uh, Love Jules Leather. They, they brought me, uh, Jules and Josh brought me some shoes, that I'm gonna wear with my suit when I have to wear my suit. Hopefully, maybe when I get to go to the premiere of the Joker movie, which won the big, uh, the big, uh, the big Lion Prize in Venice. I'm only in one scene, but it's exciting. Something's exciting, man. Feels exciting to me. Sort of trust you can watch still. Anyway, so that was Vancouver. But you know, you just go, and I'm in. I'm in Canada. We're doing the thing one night, and then I go to sleep in the fancy Rosewood. Uh, Georgia hotel I wake up have some nice breakfast and then I go to the airport and I fly to Seattle Seattle is the magic city of grayness it's not light magic it's not dark magic it's just gray magic just a bunch of weird poetic possibilities and a sort of ill-defined sense of uh, <laughs> social structure in Seattle it's clearly a lot of tech money a lot of nerd money a lot of money in general but there's also a a kind of uh wild ass progressive streak nice balance of people getting all kinds of interesting people but i performed at the moore theater which is fucking haunted man it's one of these 19 early 1900 vaudeville joints it's like it's pretty it's kind of like complicated inside a lot of trails and paths and tunnels and shit and during the show i guess in after the fact the lights were fucking going on and off a little bit. Like you know, ghosts can go fuck themselves. I'm not a huge believer in ghosts. I'm not saying they don't exist, but generally, are they really that frightening? They're fucking, you know, disembodied spirits, folks. I mean, are they really making that much trouble? I mean, I'd like to think that the ghosts at the moor when they were fucking with the lights and making weird sounds, uh, stage left, that um they were enjoying themselves. I'm gonna frame it that way. You can tell me different? Because if they were trying to scare me, they didn't. I think they were just having a good time. But there's that 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 space is a little, little heavy in the Grey Magic. A lot of possibilities in the Moore Theater. There's a few theaters like that. I did one the Carnegie Library in, in in Pittsburgh. That place is haunted to fuck. Like just bad news haunted. Like they don't even want you there. I think that's what it was called. I've never had a more tangible. Is it tangible? I want. Visceral experience of just bad juju than that joint man just sort of like the ghosts are like dude we're sleeping get the fuck out you know we've had it with this people and you know bodies that are occupied with souls you know get the fuck out this is not your party this is our space now that there's that vibe so the show is great in seattle uh El sanchez opened for me uh they were good you know, it's the weird thing about that. You know, she told me, oh, see, I just did it. I just did it. But that's habit. You can break habit. You just got to lock in. Got to lock in. Got to lock into those pronouns that seem uh, uh, different than what you brain and face wants to say. So the world continues to end. Life continues to go on. It's getting hot. It's getting hot, folks. Did I mention that Bruce Dern is on the show today? Fucking Bruce Dern. That's going to happen. You're going to get that in your head in a minute. Saw an old friend up in Seattle. My old buddy, Lauren. Lauren the welder from New Jersey. Lauren. Yeah. This is a woman I've known since college. I've talked about her before. She's a profound uh, influence on my life. And now we've known each other. Jesus Christ. We've probably known each other 86, 96, 2006, 2000. Like almost 35 years. She knew me before I did comedy when I was a college kid, wearing the long coat with the round glasses and the second hand shirts. Yes, Lauren. Hadn't seen her in about four or five years. Always kept up with her. It's so, it's wild, man. You kids, you kids with your friends, wait till you've had friends for 35 years. It's crazy. It's what's wild is you check in with the frequency, man. You know, it's like I haven't seen her in a long time, but we've always see, we've always seen each other on and off over time. But uh but it's been a while and I, they her and her husband, Vincent, came to the show and we went out to dinner after. And, you know, it just uh, you know, there's when you know somebody that long, either you're going to tap into the frequency or you're not like either the frequency holds up or it doesn't. Do you know? Like if you've known, you know, you know, people a long time, you know, you don't, you don't keep up with their lives. You don't know what they're up to. You don't know. You, you probably don't, might not know anything about what their lives have been like for the last decade or whatever in any nuance. But usually you can tap into that frequency that defined your relationship with that person. there There's a, a connection there, a wire that just needs to be attached. And you're like, there they are. You know, you just kind of pull away the age The, you know, whatever's happened over time, their life and it just kind of it kind of pulls back and it enables you to connect to that frequency that you you had with that person. And it's it's a beautiful thing, really. It it doesn't that 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 fundamental thing doesn't really change that much. I mean, people change and there's a weight to it that shifts, you know, given whatever people go through in their lives. But that, that weird fundamental connection, if you can get it back, it's kind of beautiful. It's a spark of some kind that holds up. It's sad when it goes away. It's sad when you know somebody from way back and you see him again and you're like, ah, the wire won't connect. I don't think I don't, we can't connect. It's nice to see you, but I'm sorry that the wire, the wire's just not hooking up, buddy. Uh, You don't have to say that to him obviously, but it's a little, it's a little depressing when that happens. But, uh, that didn't happen with Lauren. I talk like that. Cause that's how she talks. I don't know if she'd be happy if uh, I made fun of her like that, but it's not really making fun. I, 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 see it as a homage, an homage to her New Jersey-ness. Um, but she doesn't listen anyway. So it's no big deal. So that's uh, I think that's it. I did almost two hours, both shows. And it, they, you know, they got loopy, this no nicotine thing, two weeks yesterday with the no nicotine and, Whew. yeah it's a little loopy little loopy little loopy still and I still want it man and I'm eating but uh I think I'm gonna hold out I think I'm gonna be all right so look there's a Bruce Dern movie he's in a lot of movies right now but I just uh watched the new movie Freaks it's kind of a sci-fi trippy thing he plays kind of a creepy uh Ice Cream Man that turns out not to be creepy, but turns out I can't really explain it to you. It's just, it's slightly sci-fi ish, but not like techno sci-fi. More like um, are those people real sci-fi? Who's in charge sci-fi? Uh, you know, uh, Emil Hirsch is in it, and uh, it's a it's a it's an interesting little indie movie. But Dern is also in everything. You know, he had that uh, Oscar-nominated turn a couple years back in Nebraska. He plays Spawn old man spawn at the spawn ranch and once upon a time in hollywood he's he's always in a movie bruce dern is but he's one of the legends he's one of the guys from back in the day and he's got a head full of that history and it, it's pretty intact the head full is intact so uh, this is me and the legendary bruce dern <laughs> you've done uh you know I, more movies than almost anybody well <laughs> at this point i've done over 100 <laughs> i think at this point do you just uh, how do you decide
1: well uh i'm having a string of luck in the last since the movie nebraska I oh yeah had a, uh, that kind of made people rediscover that i had some game yeah and now it's just a question of enduring. Yeah, you know I'm 83, but uh, if I hadn't broke my hip, I'd be racing this week. But uh, racing on a bike? No, no, a, a running race. Yeah, I was a big runner in school, and I yeah. went to the Olympic Games in '56
0: at 800 meters for America. Where was the Where was the Olympics in '56? Yeah? yeah, and how'd you do?
1: Uh, I didn't make it to the final.
0: Oh. But that's exciting, huh?
1: Well, you have to run four races, and you've got to be in the top nine in every race. I was in the top nine and three in the fourth one. I didn't (laughs) qualify for the final.
0: But you still do it. Oh, yeah. And your knees are all right? Yeah,
1: it's not my knees. The only—I tore my quadricep uh, 12 years ago. Yeah. And then last fall, running a race at the Silver Lake Reservoir, I tripped and fell and landed on my hip. Yeah,
0: and that was it.
1: I didn't have to have a replacement. I just had to have the femur fixed. Yeah. But it's taken eight months. It's, it's annoying, huh? But now I'm, you know, it's just, I've been sitting all day during interviews and then to the drive all the way over here from Beverly Hills where we were and just sitting in one place or standing one place. Yeah. And red carpets now are a nightmare because, uh, I mean, now that I'm, you know, lose my balance a little yeah. bit. But otherwise I'm fine
0: have you been talking mostly about this new movie freaks or they've been talking about yeah, uh, we, once upon time
1: well today was freaks so yeah i, I couldn't weasel anything in you know yeah well freaks but, i
0: watched freaks i watched it you yeah, guys and my co-star emile
1: is emile yeah
0: Hirsch. yeah you guys acted the shit out of that yeah. thing yeah. yeah that's right you're both in uh once upon a time in america too
1: i knew did you know jay at all seabree
0: no it's a little before my time had you like well that's what i want to ask you how old are you? 55 exactly really yeah exactly 55. you knew jay oh yeah did you know all those cats up there
1: i know bernie sapphire was my best friend for a long time which one's he bernie sapphire yeah oh he wasn't in that uh, yeah manson thing he yeah. still cuts hair yeah oh, oh the haircut. he and yeah. vidal uh sassoon were the two big guys yeah. at the time And then um, Jay was uh, big until 69, when he was gone. And then John Peters kind of came in and took over with uh, uh, two or three other guys, Gene Uh Shakov And and it was like an old group. They're they're not there anymore. No, no. It's it's that whole... uh, way of hairdressing yeah
0: it, you, because would, that
1: was as much for guys as it was for girls
0: oh yeah yeah it was a it was a big thing there were these high style salons and they were led by a guy and that guy usually ended up making a brand of shampoo right or paul mitchell yeah paul mitchell sebring had a brand but do you, when when i watch that movie because I, i'm sort of nostalgic but did that did you saw it you saw the in film obviously once upon a time in america yeah. Yeah, or in the hollywood i mean is that the hollywood you remember to some degree uh well that was uh
1: it's a smaller uh, town right oddly enough uh what leo goes through in the movie yeah i went through way before i ever started movies i was panicked that it was passing me by uh in the late 60s and that was right then because Everybody was emerging. Yeah. Warren was already a movie star. Ornode was a movie yeah. star. Or George, or no George fucking yeah. Hamilton was a movie star. <laughs> George uh, uh, And we were a little... We were younger than Tab Hunter. Then. Yeah. So we were the kind of the next generation. Yeah. And everybody was making it but Jack and me and Harry Dean. Yeah. And uh, then... Uh, Jack also wrote. Yeah. So he directed a movie that he wrote and then he worked for Roger Corman all the time. Yeah. And uh Harry Dean Sang cuz he came to Hollywood with the American Boys Chorus. Right. So he was like kind of a and a good singer. Yeah, he, I mean, he if sang if all the way till Cool Hand Luke yeah. he sings that song yeah. in the back of the truck to the yeah. mother. And um so that was nice. The hardest thing now is Um, the guys that didn't make it to 80. Yeah. You know, I mean, Jack's here, I'm here. Jack doesn't want to work anymore. And I don't know, his, his whole theory is, you know, unless it's better than something I've done, why <laughs> you know no but it's, it's i good. see his
0: point of view of course you know I mean, what, what he's done it all what does he need to uh, yeah. show up to help no, somebody out he, for he doesn't
1: i don't think he misses it yeah the one thing he would like to do is direct uh-huh. and nobody ever offers him anything direct oh he directed me in a movie and I won, that, drive, he said? It, yeah. I won the national film credit for it
0: yeah what was he like as a director back then it what was, was a, good oh it was, yeah. yeah it was fabulous because he was uh he
1: had uh we did it just as five easy piece was open, yeah, and uh, we did it in the summer of seventy one and uh, well not the summer we went up to Oregon to shoot it at Mac court and we started shooting the day after Oregon just broke ucla's eighty seven game running street that Saturday night so it's right there that. in Eugene yeah, so uh they were just everybody was everywhere and yes yeah. uh, because i was a runner steve prefontaine was there then he was a great runner yeah oh but yeah. he's only a freshman in college then right Had uh, gone to marshfield high school which is a couple i don't know 20 miles away toward the ocean
0: but he's already a star
1: uh he well he broke the four minute mile in high school oh wow yeah hello
0: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i don't i don't keep up with running as much as i no, should no, but i mean yeah. that was a
1: big deal that, yeah yeah it didn't course, live a 17 live, year old kid to do it
0: yeah it didn't live long enough to just tragic
1: but uh hollywood was yeah it was very uh you know we were lucky in a way first of all my generation when we came
0: yeah Um when'd you come
1: i came uh in 58 to broadway yeah in early '59, Mr. Kazan put me under contract. He had five of us. Yeah. He had Rip Torn, Pat Hingle, yeah, Pat Bruce Hing- Dern, yeah. Geraldine Page, and Lee Remick. Uh huh. And Lee was immediately a star. Yeah. Because Kazan went to Arkansas to make A Face in the Crowd, the movie A yeah, Face
0: sure. in the Crowd, Andy
1: Griffith. And she And he used the Pine uh, Bluff. Marching band, and yeah. she was the head majorette Lee, <laughs> and he picked her out of that, put her in that movie, and that was her debut. Yeah. A year later, she was in that movie that uh, the old judge was in, Judge Welts, uh, the Anatomy of a Murder, uh-huh. and she was introduced yeah. with Ben Gazzara, and right? Alfred yeah, all yeah. the other people, and uh, so she was a star. And the rest of us, uh, you know, uh, Pat hengel was a was just a fabulous actor. Well, he's
0: a great and, character actor. He's around forever. Oh, uh,
1: he's in everything. Yeah, he did... Uh, my uncle wrote a play and I had no... Uh, my uncle never had anything to do with me and Gadge getting together. But my uncle is Archibald McLeish. Oh, yeah. And he wrote a play called JB. Yeah. And Gadge directed it. Yeah. And it starred Pat Hingle and uh, Tyne Daly's dad, uh-huh. J- James Daly. Yeah. And uh, that was... I was still in college. Yeah. And 56 was my second year at Penn. I went to Penn. Yeah. And... Uh, I was a phenom in high school, and I, uh... What, as an actor, or as no, a... As, oh, I as a no, I never acted Just a runner uh, after I quit yeah. running. And the fall of, uh, the Olympics in 56 were in October, November, because they were in Australia. Right. And that's their summer. Yeah. So, uh, I came back very disillusioned. I quit college, and I didn't know what to do, but I started going to a lot of movies, and, uh... I started to say, Jesus, I, I'd like to learn to be able to do that. Yeah. How do they do that? Yeah. So I found a little dramatic school in Philadelphia, and uh, my teacher was an actor studio member, uh-huh. but had moved back to Philadelphia because he wasn't getting work as what, an actor.
0: Like the original actor studio so, with the... Yeah. With no, the original. York, so yeah. he took me to
1: New York to audition for mm-hmm. the actor's studio. And uh, there were... There were uh three things you had to do yeah you had to go to new york yeah you had to try and work for mr kazan yeah and try and become a member of the actor's studio those were the three things you did when we finally got out here
0: we were lucky because we still got to work with the legends right so wait kazan came out of the group theater the people's what was it called the, before the, the, group the studio theater. yeah yeah new york and then it became the, the group became, became the, the actor's, actors studio. studio right so, okay, so you, when you went to New
1: York, did you audition for Strausberg or who was no, no, there? No, no, I, I went to New York uh, from Philadelphia. Yeah. We went right to the actor's studio. Yep. And we auditioned. My teacher played the part of me. We did Waiting for Godot. Uh-huh. And, which is just dialogue back sure, and forth. Sure, sure, you know? yeah, yeah. And so it was perfect. Yeah. Because I, I, was, I never really knew how to act, so I had no bad habits. Yeah. So uh, the night I went, because Gordon was a member Gordon. Was, a, was a finals night, oh, right. yeah. So both Gage and Lee and Cheryl Crawford, who were the three people that ran the studio, Gage is uh, Kazan, yeah, uh, Ilya Kazan, yeah, sure, and uh, Lee Strasberg, yeah, and uh, Cheryl Crawford, right, who had founded with Bobby Lewis the Group Theater, right. And now she was an old, uh, she uh, was the first woman I ever saw wore business suits. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> and Kazan's wife uh, Molly was quite a bright, young, vassar lady who was not, had not crossed the street physically, but mentally she was totally across the street. Yeah. And so she was a big person in that kind of movement, but she was also arts and crafts. And sure. One of her best friends was De Niro's dad, oh, yeah. who was a well-known painter, uh, painter in the yeah.
0: village. Yeah, and uh, so... Uh, so you made it right to the final audition. Yeah, and and and, and all, so, they were no, all there.
1: So I went in, yeah. and uh, I didn't have. I just did an audition mm-hmm. that night, and uh, he, uh, Mr. Strasberg said, uh, "Thank you, Mr. Dern," and Gadge said to me as I walked back with my friend Gordon Phillips, he said, uh, "I want you in my office Monday morning at ten o'clock, okay?" Yeah, you'll find my office. Yeah, and I said, "Okay." Uh, didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. So when I went outside, I was the last audition I Lee Strasberg came out and he said, "You're in the Actors Studio. You know that." Yeah. I said, "How do I know?" He said, "We haven't seen work like yours. Huh? We'd like to kind of make you our, our Frankenstein." Well, that's exciting. So, so you're in. Uh, I said, "Really? Well, what am I going to do?" He said, "We want you to work as often as you can here." And uh, if you have to erase names, because everybody wants to work. You only do two scenes a week Tuesday and two other scenes Friday. Right. And that's for 45 people. Yeah. So everybody wants to work because that's what you're there for. Sure. It's not a place to learn how to act. Yeah. It's a a hospital (laughs) to work on what you don't do well. Right. that's really the whole premise of the actor yeah. studio and i'm in there and i mean there's eli wallach and there's yeah so and i have a maryland story too right out of that but anyway she was so, there it, yeah well she studied privately with lee right and paula strasberg lee's wife yeah and susan's mother yeah um was uh uh, her confidant and went with her on all her locations. She yeah. was like her acting coach. Sure. you know. In those days, a lot of people had one. Bonnie yeah. Clift had one named Mira Rostova, uh-huh. who was from the Moscow Art Theater. Oh, wow. And uh, he got into uh, trouble with Mr. Hitchcock about or her, but uh, that's another story. So anyway, I said, okay, I went to Gadge's office, and he said, let me tell you what's going on with you, okay? You don't have any bad habits because you've never acted. Yeah. So we want to start you a different way than we've started anybody else, because you have the same instincts that—and I didn't realize at first who he was talking about—that yeah. Monty, Marlon, and Jimmy had. Oh well, wow! It's Monty, yeah. Cliff, Marlon, sure. Brown, and Jimmy so i said well i know who jimmy dean is i know and i know i know who all of them are yeah. but i'm not a movie buff i just started going to movies last year or three years ago <laughs> to really know who the yeah. movie people were i said uh, well what is it he said you're not into acting you're just into being uh-huh. so here's what we'd like you to do the first year you're here with us we want you to only work on scenes where you have no dialogue. Yeah. Where you just learn to react and behave. You did that for a year, so you don't have the obligation. Yeah. Of dialogue. Uh huh. So you'll learn your instrument. We'll train your instrument. Uh huh. And and also, I want to put you under contract. So yeah. So I worked for him. Well, the first play that I did was called Shadow of a Gunman, Uh and it was a Sean O'Casey play about the IRA, early revolution, 1917, and it was on Broadway, and it was the first time the actor's studio had ever done a play on Broadway. Uh, the group theater did, but yeah. never big time, big Broadway theater with big producers. Sure.
0: Group theater did like I mean, Odette then, stuff. Joel Schenker
1: was our uh, producer and he was the head of U.S. Steel, so he's the backed it and everything. So uh, there was a guy who directed it named Jack Garfine. He had done a little play off Broadway called End as a Man. Uh huh. They moved it to Broadway. Yeah. And within three months after being on Broadway, all seven guys became major movie stars out of that play the guidos tony franciosa michael gazo yeah ben gazzara yeah paul newman yep george papard and a guy named arthur Storch, who was kind of a comedian and a guy named jeffrey horn who was canadian yeah but uh he uh was in that too as a young man, and then they had to take him out of that play because he went. He's the kid that blew up the bridge and bridge on the River Kwai.
0: Oh yeah. So and this was John Garfine, the director. Jack Garfine. Jack Garfine. G A R
1: F E I N. Yeah. And uh, so Lee came in after seventeen days, along yeah. with Gadge, to see rehearsal. Yeah. We were still sitting at the table. Oh yeah. Reading. Yeah. And Lee said, "Jack, what is this?" Yeah and jack said well we're still working on relationships he said gadge we open on broadway in eight days <laughs> yeah. he said you're done here oh wow. right in front of the eight of us and he said you guys meaning i'll uh, say yeah you go on have a lunch with me back here and i'm gonna stage this son of bitch between one and five okay
0: uh, this was kazan uh, Gazan. Yeah, g- 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 no
1: this is strasburg lee oh yeah and uh The stars of the play were an actor named Bill Smithers, Gerald O'Loughlin, and Susan Strasberg, Mm. who was Lee's daughter. Yeah. Who had... uh, She was only 18, but for four years, she had been the darling of the American theater because she played Anne Frank on Broadway. Yeah. And that made her a star. And she had one summer off from the play, and she came to Hollywood, got nominated for an Oscar in her first movie because she's the little tomboy girlfriend in picnic
0: uh, of uh, right. william holden yeah
1: and uh kim novak yeah. was the other star you know so how'd the play go ultimately. so anyway so he puts the play together we all go home we all come back the next day and immediately we just start doing the play yeah he couldn't give a fuck about relationships if <laughs> you don't have a relationship with him after 17 fucking days <laughs> and the sad thing for jack was when we came back from our little lunches wherever yeah. we went and i'm a gambler so i'm betting sports all the time so i came back and uh jack was outside asking us not to go in right not to the continue strike. on because yeah. he discovered us and he was well yeah he didn't discover susie obviously right later. so um we went in and uh eight days later the play opened Mrs. It was a Sean O'Casey play, and Mrs. O'Casey had come all the way from Ireland to see it. Yeah. Because uh, it's a great, it's about two poets yeah. who live with a young girl, and they think that they are IRA people because they're very left kind of poets, Yeah, so they want them dead. Yeah. So they just want to catch them at something. Yeah. Well, they have a friend who's on stage, who was me, who's on stage 52 seconds, And I come on and I'm all nervous and everything and they know I'm kind of an IRI guy but I know them because I tried to be a poet and all that shit. And uh, so I say, can I leave my bag here and everything and I'll come back and pick it up tomorrow, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's fine. So I leave. And then the next day they pick up the newspaper and they read that, Daniel Maguire, I think my name was. Daniel Maguire is found dead in his loft because he was making explosives. Yeah. And the police knock on the door the minute they're reading that in the Dublin newspaper. Yeah. And they knock on the door, and the bag I left is in the corner. And they go and they say, Whose bag's this? Well, we have a friend, and he left his bag filled with bombs. Yeah. And so, yeah. and even though I'm dead and yeah. gone, I'm like a linchpin of the play. And Walter Kerr, um, uh, 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 there were two reviews. The, yeah. the, the good one was from uh, Brooks Atkinson that said, you know, I'm not encouraging you to see this play yeah. because it's the best play you'll ever see. It's not, but the work from this company on Broadway is work you've never seen before. Oh, wow. The actors are so real and so believable. And uh, so I suggest you go see the work itself because the actor studio has finally reared its head and this is who they are. Oh, wow. And so uh, I was quite excited about that. And that got you out here? I had a long time getting to where I've gotten. Sure. And um, I'm not stopping. uh, They say, what are you going to do? Retire, retire. What the fuck am I gonna do if I retire? (laughs) And it's interesting, because the first day I went to work for Roger Corman, in 1966, uh, Peter found me and Nancy Sinatra. We were the stars of movies called Wild Angels. It was a biker film. Yeah, sure. And Nancy had just sang her song, so that's the song in the movie, These Boots Are Made for Walking. Yeah, It's a drive-in movie. Yeah. But, uh, so (laughs) that's what we were doing. Yeah, My (laughs) camera operator was Francis Coppola the focus or, puller was jonathan Demi at corman the prop yeah yeah there's corman directing yeah, yeah. the uh prop guy was joe dante right yeah. and so we all went to the university of corman sure and we were there four years because he gave us leads in movies yeah and put our names above the title yeah and gave us parts that were just written you know and, i interviewed uh, yeah i talked to corman he's a character oh man. he's terrific so um you're doing tv too right Oh, that's all I did, you know. I, I just want all. All we want to do is get in movies. Yeah, I'm doing every episodic show. Yeah, uh, like all the. When classics. I went to read, yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah, was way back in Easter Sunday of uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. and Quentin, and I went up to his house to read. It was just him and me. And he says, "Sit out here and read it." And uh, I wrote this thing for you, and you should do- see it and do yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, I I read it. He said, "Go out on the balcony." And then after about an hour of reading, I was. He said, "Where are you in the script?" And I said, "Well, I'm at this point." Oh, well, come inside a second. Yeah. I go in his living room. Yeah. He puts on his huge movie screen my episode from lancer i did two lancers (laughs) what was that and that's who (laughs) leo is playing because the guy he's playing it with is james stacy yeah and james (laughs) stacy was lancer right and james stacy was a big television star yeah so this is 68 and that's yeah and so what happens is when uh we did this episode of lancer yeah um and so Quentin's Once Upon a Time variation of it.
0: So Oliphant plays that guy? Huh? Timothy Oliphant plays the yeah. guy who played plays, Lancer.
1: Yeah. yeah. plays the Lancer yeah. character, plays right. Jim Stacy. Yeah. So at the end of his scene, you'll notice that he gets on a motorcycle. Yeah. Oliphant does, and yeah. drives off the set, yeah. the, off the lot. Yeah. Well, two weeks after that, in real life, Jim got on his motorcycle, drove off the lot. And had an accident, lost his arm and his leg. Huh. He was laying there. He wasn't dead. He was responsive. But, they, you know, the people got him wasn't on the set. He was on the streets. And uh, they knew who he was and everything. And, they you know, they had to take him emergency and everything. And yeah. he said, I need somebody to notify. I mean, he didn't have them cut off there. They cut them off in two hours when they got to the hospital, yeah. you know uh so somebody had to go out and when he had done lancer it was a disney show uh they built him a huge elaborate motor home that he could live in out on the disney ranch golden oak yeah because that's where they shot all the exteriors of the episode so he didn't have to go back and forth the I they shot out there and somebody had to go back knock on the door because there were no cell phones or yeah. anything and tell his wife what had happened yeah. to him. Well, they had to knock the, uh, on the door and tell Connie Stevens that her husband had lost his arm and his leg. Wow. He was married to Connie Stevens no kidding. when she was the biggest star in the world. Wow. And it was all about Jim the So Quentin... In tribute to Jim, puts that in the movie. And Jim's my era. I mean, Jim would have been as big a star as you could be because he was a good-looking kid. And there was another kid at the same time named, uh, oh, what the hell is his name? Uh, Christopher Jones. And he had done a series called Billy the Kid and a movie called Wild in the Streets, which was a Corman-type movie. And then he got a huge part in a movie, went and did it, because uh that kid chris jones was the star of ryan's daughter for Uh david lean yeah and never worked a day again (laughs) and lost his mind and i i don't think he's dead but his wife was susan strasberg oh my god everything's connected and they they have a daughter (laughs) named jenny Yep. who's uh, Laura's friend. Well, uh, when you started
0: doing the movies, did so, you had you met Hitchcock when you did the TV show? Oh, uh, I did meet
1: him once. I did uh, an episode of that yeah. thing that he was would come on the set every day. Yeah. What people don't it was an hour show. Yeah. He did every half hour show himself. Yeah. And what pissed uh, Brian Hutton, uh, uh, Sidney Pollack, Mark Rydell, Bob Butler, a lot of these directors under contract at Universal then they got pissed off. Because of Hitch. Because Hitch made Psycho on the back lot for 590 grand. Yeah. And they said, if Hitch can do it, you can do it. Right. So they were their staff of up-and-coming movie directors. Right. So that's all I got, 750 to make a movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so that was cheap, so they never, you know, right. loved him. But So that's when I met Hitch.
0: And then he put me in Marnie, yep. which was 63. Yeah. I remember you... From like the I saw the Cowboys when I was a kid. Hmm. Which is, <laughs> and that was just, the that, day I shot him. Yeah. He'd never been shot. John
1: Wayne? Yeah. Yeah. Never been shot. Yeah. Never been killed. Right. You know. <laughs> so they're putting bullet hits on him yeah. for that scene. Yeah. And I went to Mark Rydell and I said, Look, let's do something he doesn't expect. Yeah. He doesn't expect and Mark said, Well, what is it? I said, lay it on me, blame it on me, Yeah, and he'll just say to you, My well, I won't yeah. go into it, but he'll just, you know, he turn on you, but you can tell him, no, it was me, and I'll say, let's put a bullet hit in his back. Yeah. So when he walks away from me, the first shot is in his back, and he did not know it was coming. Yeah. He didn't know they'd put a bullet hit in yeah. his back. He went down like a pro. The scene went on. Afterward, he got up. He said, Mr. Rydell. (laughs) Yes, sir. Where are you from? Oh, I'm 166th in the Grand Concourse. It's up in the Bronx in New York. How far did you have to walk to see a real cowboy? And he said, well, was usually go down to the Strand Theater, and we saw you on Saturday afternoons. Yeah he said who gave you permission to put the thing in my back he said the guy that pulled the trigger and i said i did duke and he says oh how they're gonna hate you for this they're gonna hate you so much for this and i said really well in berkeley i'm a fucking hero He put his arm around me. He said to the whole 80 people, you know, the scene where we shot him. Yeah. And he said, that's why this prick is in my movie. Because he understands bad guys are funny. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about them 150 years later. Wow. They had senses of humor. Yeah. They were stars in their own right. Sure. And uh, so the lucky thing for us when we came to Hollywood we still got to work with the legends. Yeah. You, you can't be a legend today. I mean, come on. Yeah. There's not a soul doesn't know what you do after school. Sure. So, I mean, then you didn't know anything. I didn't know Clark Gable rode a motorcycle. Yeah. I didn't know any of that shit. Yeah. And, uh... So, we get legendary awards and stuff, but we're not legends.
0: Well, yeah, you were in that transition period. Yeah, they were well, all still the around. They were still around and working.
1: Yeah. yeah. I worked with him. I worked with the most enlightening guy we worked with. We did a wonderful movie you might have seen. It's called That Championship Season. Sure, yeah. It starred Mitchum and me and Jason, I mean, and uh, Martin Sheen, Paul right. Sorvino, and, and uh, Stacy Keach. And you guys were the young guys. And, yeah. And, and Mitchum and was well, the old the guy. basketball team. Yeah, yeah. And, uh... Mitchum was the coach. Yeah. And it's a true story because that Scranton Central was a high school. Yeah. And they upset in the state championship they had 40 boys in the high school it's just a technical trade school where the hoodlum kids go to learn a trade yeah instead of going to jail they're right. sent to the trade school right well they could play baskets and they played together since they were littler hoodlums mm-hmm. so they went and they played in the state championship yeah. and it was Wilts senior year at overbroken he'd never lost a game in yeah. high school in four years and they beat him because they went four corner stall because the priest who was their coach who was mitchum yeah he goes up to paul sorvino who was the center yeah and he said on the tip off break wilt's nose so he went up he will he's out of the game so now we only play five other guys but they don't have a seven foot one inch guy yeah and then you could play four corners yeah, and it's stall. True story so they just stalled all the game and they won 45 to 40. and what was mitchum like uh he had better stories than we will ever come up with. Okay. I mean, he had, you know, he had the story about, uh, you saw The Godfather. Yeah. Well, that guy, Harry Cohn, yeah. who was John Marley in the movie, right. is uh, uh, the guy that had the horse's head right. cut off. Well, that was Harry Cohn. Right, and from L.A. And was because Sinatra wasn't, they didn't want Sinatra in The Godfather. Right. I mean, uh, in, uh, from the, here from Right. And so uh, they he went to see him and tried to make him an offer for Frank you know that you can't refuse and so they cut his head off and put him in the bed well it's interesting because by that time we're talking early 70s now Francis is a star yeah Bagdanovich, who was the second unit cameraman on Wild Angels and The Trip, another Corman yeah. movie, he was just a second unit, and he was a critic from Chicago, yeah. really. But he wanted to direct. He yeah. never directed a movie. Right. And so all those guys were, were all there at the same time. Yeah. And we don't know we're getting an education. Right. For that, we got two hundred and fifty dollars a day for ten days. So you got you know yeah. twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah. And a box lunch. Uh, no lunch period, they just, it's like working in, in Europe. You yeah. know, They walk around with food all day long yeah. and platters so you don't <laughs> yeah. lose the hour right. every day. And uh, so that was what uh, all that was like. So now in my career, when Kazan put me on the plane to come out to California, yeah, he said, understand something, you're gonna get out there and you have a very unique talent now because we've had you for two years and you're ready to be on the screen you're not a leading man. I'm 25. You're not a leading man. You're never going to be a leading man. So no one's going to know who the hell you are until you're in your 60s. I said, Gadge, I'm 25 years old. <laughs> he said, you've had a career as a runner. You're all over the place and yeah. all these magazines and everything. I said, but I'm not a runner anymore. He said, but you can endure. Yeah. And this business is about endurance. Yeah. And because you have this quality of, Interjecting things. Nicholson named them Dernseys. Mm-hmm. They're little things. There's the best one I ever did is in Nebraska. Yeah. And the second best one I do in, uh, did you see Once Upon a Time? Yeah. Okay. In the scene. And Quentin and I go back a ways. Yeah. So he lets me. You've been
0: in a few of his movies?
1: Three. Yeah. Uh, Django, I yeah. played a bit. And then yeah. Hateful Eight, I yeah. played The General, and then this. And uh, so he said, uh, uh I go up to him and Kazan said to me when he put me on the plane, when you get out there, never ever tell a director what you're going to do and take one, ever. Don't go up to him and say, I need permission or i like to do this or that. Don't do it. I said, how the hell am I going to get away with that? He said, because the director's got something you'll never have. I said, really? What's that? Take two. (laughs)
0: So if you don't
1: get it in one, you're never going to get it. Yeah. And don't go up and tell them because they'll hate it because it didn't come from them. Yeah. So just that was the first one. The second thing is he said, when you get out there because of your stature, you're going to be the fifth cowboy from the right for a decade. Yeah. Live with it. Endure (laughs) it. But make sure you're the most authentically unique fifth cowboy from the right anybody ever saw. Never stop inventing. Yeah when I got permission to start doing it the first time I did it in a big movie was Nicholson directed a movie called Drive He Said and uh, I won the National Film Critics Award for it and uh, Jack directed it and uh, nobody ever went and saw it they took it to Cannes and Mick Jagger's kid cried all the way through it so that's why Jack said no one ever gave a shit about it (laughs) but anyway so so we were walking down a hall. I played a basketball coach and the team is about, it's about a small college team going to the final four. Yeah. And we were that small college. And we used University of Oregon to shoot it all in 71 where they were in the heyday. Yeah. The day we started shooting was the night after they upset UCLA and broke their 87-game winning streak. I'm walking down a hall with my assistant coach. And two little cheerleaders come whipping down the hall. One was Cindy Williams.: Yeah, oh yeah, wasseyley. And, yeah. and the other one was a girlfriend, Mimi Michaud of Jax, who yeah. was a girlfriend for all, and they were the two cheerleaders. Yeah. And uh, they were just sexes in the movie. And as they went by, I just my fingers uh, were down here, but I just went Snaps. just snapped my fingers yeah. twice. He cut the camera, and he said, "That, boys and girls, is a Dernsey. He's been doing that for a long time, but now he gave it to me and put it in my movie. Uh, He does that, yeah. but he doesn't rehearse it, and he doesn't do it. uh, He doesn't really know what he's going to do beforehand. He's in the moment. It just happens, and he brings it out, and that's with the switch on, so you're getting the real deal, so now we cut to years later. And I go to Alexander Payne, said, you know what, I don't have a Dernsey in my movie. (laughs) He never. Because he writes pretty good. You don't need to put Dernseys in, you know. Yeah. And so I come to him, and did you see Nebraska? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. We go up into my old house after the dinner where she tells everyone to go fuck themselves. Yeah. You know, we (laughs) drive to the old house, and we go upstairs, and we look into a bedroom, and it's uh, my old bedroom. And the wife says to Will Forte and Odenkirk, the two brothers that are with me, uh, sons. And they say, uh, she says, this is Woody's room. And uh, he slept with David, you were named after him, his little brother, and he slept in the same bed with him for a year and never got the disease. And Will turns to me and says, you remember that, Dad? And there's no line, it's a cut, and we go into the next bedroom, or my parents' bedroom. And uh, I go to Alexander, I said, okay, uh, you want a Dernsey? I said, yeah. How long will you need? Three seconds. He said, uh, I know not to ask you, you're famous, you're not gonna tell me what it is, but uh, uh, I said, just don't cut the camera for three seconds later than you've been cutting it in the first take. We hadn't yeah. done a take yet. Yeah. And, uh, but in the rehearsal, you said cut, and now we're on. Right. So we go into the room, and uh, he sa- the "Story's like it says." And then he says, "Do you remember that, Dad?" And I said, "I was there." And Alexander said, "I can't write that. It just happens." <laughs> so we get with Quentin on the hateful eight, yeah. And I throw in a couple of durnsies, yeah. and he just lets them go, yeah. And then finally, I uh, put a Dernsey in. And uh, it's where Channing Tatum's about to kill me. He's got the gun on me. And then uh, he doesn't do it. He said, good answer, old man, and puts his gun down. And I told Quentin, give me a second there. He said, Dernsey. I said, yes. And uh, so he says, that's quick thinking, old man. And you're okay and I said thank you because he's saving my life yeah and uh, well I won't say the names but two of the combatants with me raised their hands and said why does he get to say stuff that's not in the script yeah he says you don't do that he says we could do that no you can't I've had each one in five movies you can't do that you don't do that (laughs) it's not that you can't but you don't you know yeah He says, Well, why is it? He said, Alexander Payne will tell you the same thing. Um, No one can write the shit that comes out of his mouth. You can't write that because it's on the moment in the moment.
0: Yeah. What was the one in Once Upon a Time in
1: Hollywood? What? The one? uh, Oh, the one in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Let
0: me ask you something. It looked like you and Brad Pitt were about to laugh.
1: Huh? Like there was a moment there. Well, he was. Yeah. (laughs) because he'd seen a scene you know yeah. I mean we'd been working on a scene he was yeah. laughing all the time he didn't expect it he didn't know what to expect yeah. but he knew that uh, you know he, he was excited to work with me and because of whatever it is he thought that I brought and so what it was is uh, he finally wakes me up and I come to him and he's shaking me. I said, oh, I don't, who are you? I don't know who the fuck you are. <laughs> and then he gets kind of independent and everything yeah. and a little shaky. He says, well, George, I wanna so forth and so on. And uh, I grab him yeah. and I say, who are you? Yeah. And uh, he was stunned at that we had to cut there because he said, he just asked me a question. That's in the script. But he asked it in such a way. He said, that's what he does. And Quinn goes, duh, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why he's here, <laughs> so forth and so on. So then I, I do that. And he says, uh, uh, he says, well, George, I'm just, you know, Cliff Booth and so forth and so on. And then he starts explaining. I said, I don't know who you are. And I grab his lapel. And I said, but you did something really nice today and it touched me, you came to see me. That was not in there, Yeah. well. It took me 45 years to know that that would be okay because you don't do that. Sure. But I've never once had a director say to me and not use the take. Yeah. Because that's what it is. And it's movie after movie after movie. And in Freaks, there's a ton of them with the little girl selling her ice cream and oh, all yeah. that stuff, you know? Yeah, My career changed with Nebraska. Yeah. Because at uh, 79 years old, Alexander wrote a script for me at 75. Yeah. It took us 10 years to get it made. Yeah. Because no one wanted to make it in black and white. And no one really wanted to make it with me. And so he couldn't get it made. So he went and he made... About Schmidt. Yeah. With Jack and, you know, Kathy Bates and all. And then he came back. He couldn't make it again. No one wanted to make it because the package was black and white with me. Yeah. And so they didn't want to make it. So he went and made The Descendants. Yeah. Uh, No, he went and made Sideways. Oh, that's a good movie. And then, same thing again, another three years, and he went and made The Descendants. Yeah. And then he came back and he said, Paramount's going to give me enough money to make the movie in black and white with you okay but they took 15 million out of our budget so i said well can't you make a movie for 10 million (laughs) dollars and he said of course i can and it's in black and white yeah and that was the first time after people having seen me for 45 years yeah 50 years yeah almost yeah, no, for 50. I've done 62, so 55 years. Yeah. See me have a story about me. Yeah. I had it in Silent Running, I had it in a few other Oof, movies, that movie was but here. I never had a movie that was like this. And I took that movie for one reason, and this is why I'm an actor. Yeah. And why I always keep acting until I'm I'm trying to get to, you know, three digits. Yeah. And uh, so that means I got 17 years. Yeah, why but is it? I like to do stuff that people haven't had a chance to do because they don't do movies about guys my age. Right. You know, even if they're small roles, I don't care. If there's a chance to be real and be kind of a linchpin in a movie, I'll do it. Well, George spawns kind of linchpin. Because from the time Brad gets out of his car on that ranch, yeah. the movie changes. Yes, it does. Because once they start following him Western. to come up to see yeah. me, then you wonder... What it is that's going on. And the, uh, so the, the that was the one uh, Dernsey. And the other Dernsey is, he says, Well, uh, you know, you sure it's okay with this, this squeaky, the red haired yeah. girl and everything? I'd already told him yeah. I'm fucking blind. What, how do I know what color yeah. hair she is? So uh, he says, uh, I said, Hey, bud, <laughs> squeaky loves me. And then I kind of dropped back in my bed and I said, So suck on that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I love that. You know, because that's the whole thing, and that's a Dernsey. But it's it's not that he couldn't write that; he just didn't write it. But that's a, so. But that makes the character sure. But those moments, uh, you live for those things. Yeah, right. Well, that's why you keep on doing it. Because yeah. you want to find things that are unique. Yeah, uh, unique approaches. Well, and you've that comes your, from like... twenty years of never having more than seven lines in a movie. Period. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jack and I, I was never billed on the screen. I wasn't even billed on the screen Wild River, my first movie, which was for Mr. Kazan. yeah, Starred Montgomery, Cliff, Lee Remick, and Joe Van Fleet. Yeah. And uh, it was about the TVA, an old lady who wouldn't move off her island when they flooded the Chickamauga Dam. Yeah, right, it. right. She wouldn't move because her family had been there 200 years, and, no, and that's he, what that movie you didn't was. get any credit? Uh, no. no, he didn't, he forgot. He says, oh, I just forgot. And, uh, so, Coming Home was a big one? Oh, yeah. Well, that was, uh, 17 years later. Yeah. No, I've had, uh, uh the, the movies that I'm proudest of. Yeah. I'm proudest of a movie called Smile. Yeah. Because it's a wonderful teenage beauty pageant movie. It's about the teenage Miss America. Yeah. I mean, uh, Junior Miss pageant. Yeah. And, um, Barbara Feldon is my co star. Yeah. Car 99. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's and, smart, uh,
1: too. and then, uh, I love coming home. Oh, yeah. Now, I thought the Gatsby we did was a good version of Gatsby. With Redford? But, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Redford, Mia, me, and Sam Waterston. Yeah. We were the four people. And uh, I love Walter Hill. Oh, yeah. So, I like the driver. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a good movie. Yeah. And Ryan is very good in it. Yeah. You know? And everybody, no one has a name. I'm the, uh, he's the driver, I'm the detective, she's the player, he's, you know, so forth and so on. That's Walter Hill. And people say, well, you know, but what's he really done? He, he never does anything that's funny or anything. I said, cut off. What are you talking about? Shut the fuck
0: up. Yeah.
1: He directed 48 hours. Was yeah. that funny? Yeah. Wonderful
0: guy. What about uh, uh, They Shoot Horses?
1: Very, very good. It's another one uh, that I was in.
0: Early Pollock, he's great.
1: His second movie.
0: Yeah, uh, I had
1: done his. No, it was his third movie. His second movie I've been to was called Castle Keep. Yeah. Starred Burt Lancaster. And listen to this cast Patrick O'Neill, Michael Conrad, Peter Falk, Tony Bill, Bruce Dern, Scott Wilson, James Patterson, Jean Pierre Amont and Marty Baum uh, produced it for yeah. Seven Arts, but Gig Young won the Oscar for it.
0: Yeah, and, uh, oh yeah, he's a great part. Oh uh, yeah, he was one of yowza, yowza, yowza. But, the, Pollock, but Pollock was a good actor too, I thought.
1: Yeah, well he was good in Tootsie. Yeah. Well, it's great that you're anyway, still working. Anyway, you've, you've been wonderful. I mean, the homework you've done and uh, your face, your enthusiasm, I mean, you just draw shit out of me. You know, <laughs> yeah. so I appreciate it. Well, thanks but, for uh, talking. I feel like we could I do I a- wrote a book yeah. you know, 11 years ago. It's all in there. It's called Things I've Said But Probably Shouldn't Have. Well, yeah, and uh, John Wiley and Sons produce, yeah. uh, published. Well, the whatever board.
0: we didn't cover, I'll just read aloud at oh, the beginning.
1: Yeah. Well, read it because what is good is I didn't change a name. Yeah, every name is the same.
0: Well, you're great, and I've always been a big fan, and it, uh, they, it, now I understand you a little better. Well,
1: I, I, you know, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote yeah. I like. My daughter Laura, I talked I talked yeah. to her. Oh yeah, yeah, I and like, her mother Diane Ladd. Yeah. Are the only family in the history of this business to all have stars on Hollywood Boulevard. Mm. Other families, but never mother, father, child. Mm. And uh, there's eight Oscar nominations there. Mm. And Diane and Laura both nominated Best Actress, Best Support Actress from the same movie. Mm hmm. And i it's saw that movie of, it's called rambling rose yeah beautiful and then again in wild at heart but diane got nominated Laura, did yeah but rambling rose was great you know duval and diane oh yeah it's great it, right? it's great yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, so i'm very proud of laura she's done good diane you know she still has a career and she still works a lot and everything but uh i uh i enjoy when somebody the only other guy who's done as almost as good homework as you not quite as good is michael debar yeah because he has a show similar to this oh does he which he does in england drive time Uh uh-huh so you're on the phone and the people are driving to (laughs) work sure and you're at eight o'clock at night and they're on the way to work and he's very good too and when he first interviewed i didn't have a clue who he was yeah and i didn't realize he was big stuff yeah i mean he replaced sting oh (laughs) and the police (laughs) and then went on had a big career of his own and his wife wrote the book. I am with the band. Yeah, Pamela. Debar. Pamela, DeBar, you must have known her in the seventies. Oh she was yeah. Well, her. I didn't know her much. Yeah. But uh, she was, he was, she was big stuff. Sure. And so was he. He, she just emailed me. I think she wants to talk. Well, she's around. Oh, yeah. she'd love to talk. Yeah. She's wonderful. Of the people you want to talk to, she is one because uh, she's
0: been there. Yeah, she knows where all the bodies are buried. Yeah, she, she's you no, know,
1: and she's a good, name and bright.
0: Oh yeah, very very. I met her at. Uh, I think I met her at the Zappa house oh and how cool was he yeah i didn't know him but i knew oh, moon I knew was I knew he was, was a, cool
1: yeah three times in my life i had a lunch once a year uh once in uh one year then it was three years for the next one then the next year it was so on four years we had uh three lunches five yeah. years we had three lunches he's bob a- fossey me and george
0: carlin oh yeah how yeah. about that? Yeah, he was sharp, oh, huh? George Carlin, he yeah. got it. Yeah, he's was and, and
1: Zappa got
0: it. Yeah. And Fossey got it. Sure. You know. You still talk to Jack?
1: Uh, occasionally, yeah. I, I mean, he calls me, you know, a couple times a year and says, you want to go to the basket and everything? And I said, uh, I don't know. Can I go in the limo? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Darns or get on over here. Come on, go down and see. I, I'm sure I'll get a call this year because he wants to see the two guys together. You know, yeah. and see how they perform. But I love him. He is. Uh, he did something for me. It's the last thing I'll yeah. tell you. We did a movie. It's a very good one. I'm proud of too. I forgot called the King of Marvin Gardens. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's one. That's a Rafelson movie. Yeah. And how's uh, he doing, Bob? You talked to him? Uh, he's. He's an Aspen. He's yeah. he's okay, okay, but he's uh, it's tough. Yeah, but he's a great interview. But I don't know now. Yeah, you I agree. But yeah. he's a, such a good guy and such a good director. Yeah, and Marvin Gardens a good movie. In the movie, there's a scene where we crown. I live with two women, Ellen Burstyn and this girl, uh, Julianne Robinson. And Jack is my brother. I have him come visit me in Atlantic City to start a dream about gambling. This is before gambling was there. Mm -hmm. The last shot of the movie is the wrecking ball hitting the Tremor Hotel. For real. Because that was our last day of work there. The day they brought it in. And uh, so Jack sings the Miss America song. Here she is, yeah. and we give her the little crown, and I'm out driving this little golf cart that we're going to drive into the place and out of. Yeah, the whole place is empty. Yeah, seats twenty eight thousand people. Wow, they used to play indoor football there. Yeah, you know, C W Post used to play home games yeah. here, and so in Atlantic City. So uh, we're uh, he's finished. She's got the Miss America crown. I pull the cart up the golf cart and uh, Jack climbs in next to me, and I'm driving, he's next to me, and Julianne gets in the back seat, and Ellen Burstyn's running because the car's going maybe two miles an hour. And she grabs the seat, gets on, and falls off. Uh. Jack, I stopped the car immediately. He put his hand on my arm, and he said, are you all right? Friend for the rest of my life. I mean, he knew that what I was going through was just as important as what she was going through. Yeah. But I was the perpetrator, so to speak. Right. And that made me uh, forever indebted to him. I mean, I just, he's a class act. Also, he's as good a partner as I've ever had in movies. I've had some good partners. Oddly enough, Robert Shaw was a pretty good partner. Oh, he's great. Robert Shaw was the captain in Jaws. Great great actor, yeah. Yeah. And this was in Black Sunday where I had to blow up the Super Bowl. I had to kill John Wayne and two years later I blew up the Super Bowl. I mean, (laughs) get away (laughs) from that in a career, you know.
0: (laughs) Thanks, but, man.
1: Uh, thank you. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Wild, right? That was wild. Fucking Bruce Dern, man. Bruce fucking Dern. Loved it. Loved that talk. Glad we made it up the stairs. Didn't know if I was going to get him down. Uh, the movie he's in right now, aside from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is Freak's which uh, opens in theaters this Friday. I'm going to play my Stratocaster straight in to the uh, Dirty Old Man amp 58 57 58 Fender Deluxe through a classic Crybaby Wawa pedal. That's all that's happening here. Okay. (laughs)